I'm Lauren, and I'm a veterinarian. I'm JJ, and I'm a veterinary technician. And you're listening to IntroVets, a veterinary podcast by introverts with high-functioning anxiety. Welcome to the stack episode. <laughs> JJ is going to read some listener mail. We just got a letter. I was just listening to your most recent episode with Dana, the therapist. Um, this episode was episode 2.7, the Everyone is Tiffany episode. Uh, and you guys were talking about the thinking error of if I phrase this just so I can get the right outcome or response. Part of the problem with that thinking error is that I swear this has been taught to veterinarians. I swear. Maybe it was in school. Maybe it was in my training in corporate practice or during an era of continuing education. But I swear I remember this being a thing at some point. This makes us feel that if a client declines services, it is your own fault. Well, I remember the part of this episode that this listener is talking about. I think we mm. were specifically talking about like how to get over feeling like there's some magical phrasing that you can use to make a person you're talking to react well to bad news. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, like that sort of thing. Like, I need to unfortunately have a confrontation with this person about this issue that we have and like maybe there's some magical way that i can phrase it so that they won't get mad or embarrassed or upset or whatever mm -hmm. but it's interesting to think about it also being applied to like client interactions and not just staff or, or veterinary interactions so i think that this uh this was a veterinarian that wrote us i think that this veterinarian is bringing up a really good point which is uh, it's po it's possible that some of the programming that we received in veterinary school and from continuing education has sort of reinforced that thinking error of like, it, I can control how other people respond to things mm -hmm. if I behave a certain way. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily true. It's not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also that if you don't control their compliance that it means you're doing something incorrect or you've failed somehow right right like um this person's not buying heartworm prevention that must mean that you didn't explain it well enough or mm -hmm. they just don't understand and i mean i've literally been to ce for sure where they say that but that's mm -hmm. not true no sometimes people just decline it yeah yeah, <laughs> they don't I, want to be better educated <laughs> I, right um i definitely had that same sort of uh training in tech school yeah and a lot of times techs and assistants are the <laughs> i just read what i wrote techs and assistants are are a lot of times the front line of when, client communication no pun intended no pun like line. because uh, of the uh, front line uh, product yeah i thought it oh was funny God. It's, it's not, so funny. Not funny. <laughs> it was okay. funny. It's funny. Four thirty this morning. You're a hundred percent right. You guys have like the, I would say, in the modern veterinary practice, the technical staff probably does the bulk of the client education mm -hmm. in most of the places I work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I mean that was something that was part of my training, um, but it was definitely kind of presented in a way of, you know, as long as you are super educated about the product and how it works, why it works, and why they should get it, then you should have no problem with owner compliance. 
with CE, it was more of them having you uh, or coaching you on this way of, of presenting the product. And they're saying, you know, if they ask this question, here's your answer. And it was supposed to kind of be this like blanket, easy, magical way of perfection and, and that they would totally buy this product over any other. And this is why you should recommend it over any other. They didn't leave any room for failure at all. And yeah. failure is not the right word. They didn't leave any room for the owner to just be like, I don't want to do this. Right. Right. Like, nah, man, mm-hmm. I don't. Uh, yeah. Yep. I know what you mean. I, I know what you mean. Like, failure is not exactly the right word, but like, that's how you feel. Mm-hmm. That's how you feel when people say, no, I don't want to do that or no, I I don't believe in that or whatever. But like, it's not yeah i mean that's not what's happening yeah what implied in the uh applied in the real world it's not always as easy and magical as it is when they're you know doing role-playing or whatever with you to try to train you to do the the talk my personal favorite is when you go in there and you do the spiel and they're like nah no don't not interested and so i come out of the room and i tell the doctor before they go in so they've totally declined heartworm prevention and then the doctor goes in and says similar things, maybe just a slightly different way, just different enough. And the owner's like, oh, 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 I see the the need for that. Okay, yeah, absolutely. So that's like a double whammy because now you're like, oh. not only have I failed in the client, but I failed the doctor. And it took me years to kind of not totally take that personally and not feel like I've failed as a technician in two different arenas because they didn't want what I was trying to tell them about. But yeah, uh, after a while, you know, definitely can kind of get into this, like, I don't want to say it's like, a, I don't care mode, but it's almost like a, I'm not going to win necessarily either way. So I'm just going to do what I need to do. And if they buy it, great. I'm glad their dog is going to benefit from it. But if they don't, it, to try not to take it personally because dear lord is it difficult yeah yeah well i i think that you brought up a couple of interesting points there and i am gonna say number one i think changing the way that you think about that interaction that you described like where you're telling the owner about some important aspect of veterinary medicine and they decline it and then the doctor follows up and they're like oh that's fine i don't think that means you failed I actually think that the veterinarian might not have been successful unless you had mentioned it first. Hmm. Because when people hear things just one time out of the blue, they kind of are like, "Uh, I don't know, I've never really heard that before, you know. Mm -hmm. But if it's something that you're encountering repeatedly, uh, and I, I can recognize this even in my own life, if you have something come up repeatedly, it's sort of like, oh, yeah, somebody else was just mentioning that like that. This must be like a real thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't necessarily think that I, I don't think that you should view that as a failure. And I also don't think necessarily that veterinarians think that either. You know, like I, mm-hmm. I when I go into a room and the tech is like, hey, they've already declined heartworm prevention. I'm never like, oh, well, just put a black X in that mm-hmm. corner, you know, for that mm-hmm. tech. I'm just always like, oh. That means that the technician thinks it's really important for me to address that, you know, and I actually think that's not you starting to not care. I think that's you starting to have a healthy outlook. (laughs) (laughs) 
Hear me out, okay? Because, like, you can't be more invested in the pet's care than the owner is. Mm -hmm. The owner is the person that has to make these decisions. And so what your job is, is to educate the owner and provide the options. But the owner has to make the decision about what to do. And if they choose to do something that is against your recommendations, like, okay. Like, that that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that you failed. (laughs) That just means... They decided not to do it for whatever reason. And like, I don't think that you should beat yourself up about it. I mean, I know that it's common to. I do. I did it for years. I'm still struggling with it. But like, I think if you can catch yourself in that feeling of like, meh, and instead of saying, I am doing a bad job because I don't care, say, I'm doing a good job because I've separated this from my personal identity. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. It That feels like what my therapist would say. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I guess really the real failure would be as if you just kind of gave up and didn't do the talk at all. Yes. Which definitely happens. Yes. Some days you're just like, I don't feel like fucking fighting with people today. Uh-huh. I totally understand. But you're right. That is giving up is just not mentioning it. Mm-hmm. But like if you mention it and they don't do it, like you, d- you upheld your part of the bargain here. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, I agree. Because what else could you have done? You can't tape them to a chair, put the heart guard in their hand and like swipe their credit card because that is illegal. Frowned <laughs> upon and you will go to jail. It just reminded me of the, the news where the, the dude duct taped that drunk dude in the airplane. Did you hear about that? I saw it. It's actually a skit. You're talking about the, uh, the like the large African-American guy telling the story. I mean, that actually did happen. They had it on the news, and there was a dude that was being drunk, belligerent, and grabbing on the uh, uh, flight attendant's uh, boobs, and Uh they duct-taped him. Like, there's video of him being duct-taped. Oh, so the story is real. I must have just seen, like, a humorous reenactment of it. The the dude that duct-taped him looked a lot like the dude, because I know what video you're talking about, which was hilarious, by the way. But um, because they were saying that the flight attendants involved were they had to let them go, but they were like somewhat still supportive of the what they did, because, I mean, there was other passengers. It was like being several videos from different perspectives of it happening. So, like, it legit happened. That's crazy. We need to research this more. Like what I read that it was a skit and I just was like, oh, that must not be true. But like, holy crap. (laughs) Holy crap. I'm going to feel really dumb if it wasn't true. Okay, I was we'll like, look it up. Thank it's God fine. that happened. It's fine. Don't, everyone, you know, hopefully no one comes to our podcast for like breaking news <laughs> stories. I know, right? All of the veterinary information we share is fact checked, but the random human interest <laughs> stories that we do, mm, not so much. Yeah, yes. Don't quote that in a paper or anything. So I do think that there are best practices. With regard to client communication, for sure, there are best practices and you shouldn't avoid important topics uh, so that you can avoid tense conversations. Like, I don't recommend that. For example, I don't think you can just completely not address heartworm disease at an annual visit for a patient that isn't on heartworm prevention. But there isn't some magic statement that's going to change the mind of a pet owner that is convinced heartworm prevention isn't necessary Or like that a parvo isn't a real disease. 
or that <laughs> fleas somehow respect the boundaries of a gated community and don't enter it. Like, clients tell us ridiculous bullshit all the time. And we hear all this crap on a regular basis. Like those three things I just list, uh, just listed, those are all real examples of mm -hmm. stuff that I've not just heard one time, but like consistently. Yep. But like, if you just say to those people, you're wrong, that they don't, that don't they don't believe, well. right. They don't believe that they're wrong and they're just going to get mad. So like, it's, it's actually a really delicate conversation. And so mm -hmm. Like, I think the victory is in being willing to have that conversation and say, I'm going to push back against those ideas a little. I'd like to provide you with some information. I'd like to to talk about a CE I just went to. I'd like to give you this brochure, you know, that sort of thing. I think that is really the putting yourself out there, getting to the victory phase of the client accepting the recommendations. That is really, in my opinion, that is not in your control. Mm hmm. But. I kind of want to hear some more of these uh, stories where the client tells you some interesting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I wrote some down. So um, I once had a cat owner tell me that she believed that God had cured her cat of feline leukemia virus. So no, she wasn't going to vaccinate uh, or protect any of her other cats who all lived in the same household and shared food and water bowls. Wow. She, yep. She also wasn't going to like vaccinate any new kittens she was bringing in or or any of those things because God had cured her cat. Because, you know, any God that, you know, has all that kind of free time is going to. I know. Right. Like that was hard for me. So it's hard to argue when people have like some sort of a religious base belief mm -hmm. because like anyway. Yeah. It's just really hard. I mean, and and if you, like, by its nature, if you argue with that, then they just think you're a bad person. They don't think that you're trying to help them, you know? Like, so that's, I, I don't know how to handle that. I, I <laughs> Was there, like, the, a sign or something that, like, she get, like, a... No. No, I mean, I think in reality, she just didn't want to have to deal with, like, the mental process of, like, I have... And and this was like a multiple cat house, like, you know, like a borderline hoarding situation. Mm, like, gotcha. you know, everybody has those, everybody has those clients where you're like, you know, they have, we know about 10 of their cats, but they easily have twice that many at home in reality, you know? So we had saying? a denial Jesus situation. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, she just didn't want to have to think about it or handle it. And, you know, when you... <laughs> When you multiply, like, testing and vaccination times that many cats, that is a lot of money that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Anyway, she just, I think, was just, she mentally couldn't handle it. So she just decided, like, I'm going to say, I prayed about it and that's all I can do. And convince myself that really is all I can do. It's, it's a mm -hmm. tough one for me. I have, I have tr trouble with that. I once had an owner tell me that he wasn't going to vaccinate his puppy for parvo because parvo vaccines cause parvovirus. And okay. dogs who aren't vaccinated don't get sick with parvo. Basically, like, parvo was some sort of a veterinary conspiracy that we had drummed up to get more business. So only vaccinated dogs get parvo was his reasoning. I mean, that is not at all true i don't understand where he got this from 
but that is just bonkers. Anyway, that puppy later died of parvo, so that's mm-hmm. great. And even after all that, he still was not convinced to vaccinate um, the subsequent puppies that he got. Mm. So that was frustrating. And in my experience, these types of people are not really amenable to education. I mean, that's being pretty blunt, but that's where we're at. Like, Mm -hmm. for them, it's always some type of a conspiracy or we veterinarians have like some ulterior motive. The interesting thing, though, is that I found most of the people that have these beliefs don't sort of have them across the board. So it's difficult to say, well, fire that client who wouldn't vaccinate his puppy for parvo because he might be a client that follows recommendations about most other things. So, Mm -hmm. like, um, you might have a client that follows recommendations about heartworm prevention, but they're going to balk at recommendations for routine vaccination. Or there might be a client who keeps their pets on parasite prevention consistently and trusts you on that front, but they might insist on feeding it a home-cooked diet that's not balanced and absolutely refuse to believe that it could ever cause a problem. So I really think if we, like, fired every client who had this sort of off-the-wall medical opinion about one area, like, we wouldn't have many clients left at the end of all that. No. So that's also tough because, like, a lot of times it's not, it, a lot of times it's not like a wide spread or sweeping disregard of your recommendations but like one or two key things that they're just adamant about not wanting to do mm-hmm. yeah and what about like uh, the pets that are on medications that require labs uh, like I can, can remember somebody that I'd worked with he had a overweight cat with lots of allergy issues and he wanted Depomedro injections and he was getting them about every 45 days and never wanted to do labs I was fairly new at this practice I was working at. And I remember like looking through the chart before I went in there. I'm like, this dude hasn't had labs on his cat for years. And it doesn't look like anybody said anything into him about it. So I'm going to ask him about it. So I remember asking him about it. And he was just kind of like, no, thank you. And I really don't think it's necessary. And I'm like, well, I mean here's kind of some reasons why. And he cut me off and was like, I said, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in anything you have to say. You can leave the room now. And the doctor can come in and give me my shot so I can leave. And I was just kind of like taken aback by that. Cause I'm like, what? and this was of course during the parts of my career where I took that very personally. And I'm like, is it because I'm a technician? Is it because I'm female? Is it because you just really don't, think that it's really necessary what i mean why are you so adamant about this so i like went and asked the doctor about it and they were like "Eh, that's just how he is we just gave up on a long time ago we just give him a shot and let him go on his way and i'm like yeah but this cat could there's all kinds of problems it could what why don't you care and it was like it's not that we don't care it's just kind of you know the cat does well on the injection and we're just not going to fight that battle and i'm like but yeah (laughs) yeah i can definitely sympathize with you there because that that is like a pet peeve of mine the the chronic steroid administration in cats with allergic disease Mm -hmm. especially because we've got like so many safer ways to treat them Uh, but the one thing about depomedrol is it works and it's Mm -hmm. really inexpensive so i mean i think that Every individual veterinarian is going to have 
a different comfort level with that sort of case and maybe different things that might make them fire that client or keep the client and do what the client wants. I think just depending on personality and stuff like that. But like, I can see ways that that definitely could have been handled better. You know, like Mm -hmm. maybe, you know, uh, we counsel the client about this a couple of really good times. And then after that, we have them maybe submit a yearly paperwork release or like when they come in to get the injection, like we have them sign a release form that says, I understand X, Y, and Z, you know, I understand here are the potential side effects. I understand to watch for this. I've declined this, you know, Mm -hmm. I think liability wise that could go a long way, but there are like emotional things for the staff beyond liability. And that for me would be one that would trigger me for sure. Where I'd be like, what the, you know, like you just don't care. Mm -hmm. And I, I bet that it's not that the veterinarian involved didn't care so much is that they were just like, this isn't the hill I want to die on today. You know? (laughs) Yeah. That was very much kind of how it was. And, and, and they were, I kind of got the impression that he was kind of rude like that if you tried to get him to do anything. Yeah. And they were just kind of done with him and they're just like, fine. I mean, and I mean, I don't remember exactly what ended up getting that cat, but it was something related to getting that injection, mm, which I mean, yeah. you can only get that for so long and not have that happen. And yeah, you said the cat was getting it like pretty often, right? Yeah, it was definitely, it was not every month, but it was more often than every three months. That's a lot of depot. Yep. That's like a lot of depot. And it wasn't a super young cat. I mean, it yeah. wasn't like ancient, but it was, I was like, dude, all these things are coming together to form a mess if you don't, you know, stay on top of it. And he just was not. Yeah. I think his main deal was like, if something like that happens, I'm going to euthanize it anyway. So it doesn't matter. Gotcha. And I was like, "Uh, ouch. What I was actually about to ask was like when the patient ultimately did have side effects and succumbed to those side effects, was the owner like, why have you been giving me this injection or anything? Or was he like, "Ah, you told me this could happen. Neither. It was kind of like he brought the cat in. It was sick. And I think he allowed them to do um some lab work and everything was a hot mess and he's just like all right go ahead and euthanize okay yeah yeah so i think that highlights an important part and actually i want to go back really quickly before i forget to say something and say no matter what the owner's goals are there is no call for them to ever be rude to you right so like Mm -hmm. meeting your recommendations with bitterness and angriness there's not really call for that sir like probably we should have had the office manager talk to the owner about like hey if you're going to continue to come here we're going to need to continue to go over the potential side effects with you doesn't matter if you already know them we have to protect ourselves legally so i can have the staff like review that verbally or you can sign a waiver it is something that will get done every time you come in and i don't want to hear any like attitude about it you know, like that, mm-hmm. I think that is reasonable because even if the owner is going to decline it, there's no reason for them to be a dick to you. So that is the one thing about that interaction. If anything that I could change is like addressing the owner's attitude. We do not belittle the staff in my hospital, my fictional hospital. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway, understanding what the client's goals are, I think is super important. 
and really is like the backbone of the veterinary relationship. And I don't think that we address that enough. Like when I was in veterinary school, I can't remember a single time ever it being discussed. Like, hey, first find out what it is that the owners want, then make your recommendations, Mm -hmm. right? Because some people don't want the gold star treatment and it's their pet. It's their decision. So Mm -hmm. this guy might be thinking, I mean, who knows what he had going on in his life, right? If we put ourselves in his shoes, we don't know. Has he been laid off? Does he struggle financially anyway? Is he, you know, caring for like a sick family member that we don't know about? Does he have lots of kids? Does he, you know, like what other stressors are happening in his life that have made him say for whatever reason, like, I know that X, Y, and Z are options and would be ideal, but I can't do it. Mm-hmm. And so this is my decision. My decision is final. And like, I don't think that we provide in veterinary medicine like enough platforms for owners to tell us those things mm-hmm. without feeling judged. And that conversation doesn't necessarily always have to end with you saying, okay, we'll do whatever you want. It might end with you saying, I understand what your goals are. Let me repeat them back to you and make sure I understand. Have I understood? Yep. Okay. I respect your desire to have those goals. My concern is that I'm unable to provide that level of care. Let me make a recommendation for someone who can. Or I understand and I'd feel comfortable providing that level of care with a waiver, you know, or or whatever. And that's not a cookie cutter thing. That's like an individual veterinarian decision. Mm -hmm. Everyone I know would be comfortable with different levels of stuff, right? But Mm -hmm. like, I do think we have to take owner's preferences into account and the art part of practice i think is walking that line between what's medically best and what the owner will accept Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean it's hard it's Mm -hmm. hard and i don't think that you can i don't i mean people do but i don't think it's right to make a ce talk and be like it's this easy you motherfuckers are just doing it wrong or whatever (laughs) like no it's more nuanced than that It, Mm -hmm. it is it is yep I actually went back uh, to prepare for this episode. I went back and read proceedings from continuing education talks that focused on increasing client compliance. And I focused on the past 20 years. So 2000 to 2021, (laughs) as scary as that is, 2000 was 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. But um, a lot of them were very similar going all the way back 20 years. And I'm not going to bring in the individual you know, things or topics or people, because I don't really like, I don't really want to call out specific people, but just in general, all of them were very similar. Almost all of them focused on what the veterinarian or staff was, quote, doing wrong. And it might be from the perspective of like, you can't really change the other person, the pet owner, like you can't change them. So to increase compliance, since you can't change the owner, the only thing that you can change is the staff. I mean, I get that. You really can't change other people. Right. Mm. Ultimately, I think like it could be that the individual personalities of the people taking those continuing education courses might make them internalize that information rather than thinking of it as just like actionable recommendations. A lot of veterinarians and veterinary staff are internalizers. We like live in our own private world and we take information and we always look at things according to like what we've done wrong or how we failed, right? Mm -hmm. I'm one. 
Exactly. Uh, that's me speaking from experience. Mm-hmm. And so if you're an internalizer and you hear that sort of talk, it might be very easy to fall into the trap of I'm continuously failing. I haven't done a good enough job in that sort of thing. And I doubt that that's like what the veterinary professors or the CE providers goal was. I think that they are just trying to be like, here are the things you can improve. And it might be being relayed accidentally as it's all your fault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, accidentally. Yes. Right. <laughs> JJ, you were saying that you kind of had another issue with those CE meetings about like the difference in staff education levels. Uh, an issue that I've come across is that not all staff members are educated. So uh, say, for instance, if a staff member gave the client the wrong information about a product, I can see where the client would kind of start having trust issues. So that's a, a good reason for requiring CE for staff support staff members. Um, but also follow-up needs to happen because it's really easy to say, okay, we require CE, but you need to make sure the CE is happening. And if it's not, then, um, yeah, that could affect their, like, raises or whether or not they get more responsibility in the clinic. But if that staff member does not know anything about certain products that they're getting asked about and they give the wrong information, uh, it's just not good. It's not a good right. look. And um, so I'm I'm kind of a fan of, like, having some tests or something like that that um, can kind of follow up and make sure that maybe they're not doing the CE, but they are required absolutely to know about what products they're recommending, what products they're recommending, what uh, what they cover, what they don't cover, age that they start or stop at, weight limits, that sort of thing. I mean, and there's all kinds of resources. There's charts out there that have all kinds of products and have all that information on them that are quick reference. So even if they don't remember, they can refer to it or refer it to someone else. They need to be, to feel like they're, it's okay if they don't know the answer. Yeah. They need to say, you know, I don't know the answer to that question. Let me ask another staff member or a doctor or, you know, whoever they're comfortable asking so that the client's getting the correct information. I just, I hear it happening and it makes me cringe. And I immediately like, like, hey, you gave them the wrong information. Either I'll try to get their attention while they're still on the phone or um, I'll, I'll leave. I've gone as far as to say you need to call them back and tell them you were mistaken about something because I just I don't I hate that. I can't stand. <laughs> I hear somebody's like, oh, yeah, that that covers this. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. No, no, it doesn't. Why, why are you? No, stop. <laughs> yeah, I, you bring up a really good point. Uh, the point about if you don't know for sure, just say you don't know. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know why that's so difficult. I was really lucky that one of my mentors taught me that a really long time ago. You know, hey, if you don't know, say you don't know. Like, it's going to be okay. Like, Mm -hmm. that you can say so many different things. I'm not sure, but can I research that and get back to you about that? Yeah. Or like, um, you know, I'm having trouble remembering off the top of my head. Let me go get the parasite prevention spreadsheet that our clinic keeps that outlines all of the products that we have. And all the things that it covers, which every clinic should have, right? Mm-hmm. So let me go get that laminated sheet that we keep in the drawer in the exam room. Boom. Now we can go through the chart together, right? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I think putting the information in the hands of your staff is important. And then also allowing them to know, like, 
I can say I don't know, and it's going to be okay. Like, it, mm-hmm. it is. It's going to be 100% fine. I actually think that clients respect staff members more if the staff member says, I don't know, but I can find out for you. Hold on one moment. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying some random bullshit that's not correct. Yeah, because, I mean... Yeah. Clients aren't stupid. Well, some of right. them are, but uh, I mean, yeah. For the most part, they can kind of tell when you might be pulling something out of your butt. So, yeah, like yeah. your mannerisms and facial expression change. Uh-huh. You get nervous. Like, uh-huh. mm, yeah. Mm. If every you can tell, I mean, I don't know. There's probably some good actors and actresses out there, but I mean, I know if if I was trying to say something that I didn't know what I was talking about, my entire whole demeanor would be difficult, different. So. I don't know. I And I'm one of those people that definitely like, if you tell me, you know, I don't know the answer to that, but let me try to find out for you. I'm like, all right, I trust this person more yeah. than somebody that's going to be like, well, um, so it kind of goes like this. And I'm like, you don't sound like you know what you're talking about anymore. Right. Right. I once, oh man. Yeah. I once had a nurse practitioner. Okay. Uh, who, now, this is not a hit on nurse practitioners. Nurse practitioners are some of the best medical providers. I, I actually prefer to see them, okay? But mm-hmm. one provider that I had was saying, like, your lab work looks weird. I think you have this illness. And I was like, hmm, you know, it's very possible that this illness in people presents a lot differently than it does in dogs. Here's what I know about what it does in dogs. Is that what it also does in people? Or is it very different? Because I don't perceive myself as having any of those symptoms, and I'm worried that maybe just the lab test is wrong. And instead of saying, I don't 100% know what all the symptoms are in people, let me get back to you, or anything like that, I'll never forget it. The nurse practitioner pulled a laptop out, set it on the counter, and literally Googled the name of this illness, tilted the screen towards me, and was like, you can read about it here. <laughs> And I was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, she just what? Googled that for me. She just go like, yes, I can Google it. OK, like I can Google it. What the hell? So anyway, long story short, if that practitioner had looked at me and said, those are great questions. I don't 100 percent know. Can I research this and give you a call back? Talk about feeling much more confident with my care. Mm-hmm. Then someone who like tried to pretend like they really knew what they were talking about and ultra didn't and tried to cover for it. Like, I will never forget that. <laughs> I will never forget that. Oh, but anyway. <laughs> okay, we kind of got off on a uh, mm. off the subject a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but in thinking about this topic, sort of what I where I landed with like, quote, the answer was was mostly having to do with our own perceptions and our own tendencies to internalize things that happen in the exam room or that happen at CE or things like that. And so I think that we do need to try to attempt to improve client compliance, but at the same time to work really hard not to internalize that struggle to educate the client. In other words, I think we just need to not take it so darn personally And I think doing the doable things to make sure you've given the information to the owner, I mean, that's all you can do. And then document that you've done so. After that point, though, like, you just have to let it go. Take a deep breath and just (laughs) walk out of there and try not to feel like you failed because 
you did the job that you were hired to do and ethically what you're responsible for, which is educating the owners. Mm-hmm. And if the owners aren't ready to hear that information, like there's no way you're going to be able to force them to do it. <laughs> you know, you mm-hmm. can't like you can't. I mean, you can't do there's nothing. What can you do? Like you can't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's out of your hands. Yep. You tried. <laughs> yeah, you tried. <laughs> I do think that everything that we do in veterinary medicine is a very delicate balance. It's like a it's like a dance that you have between educating the owner and not pissing them off. Like <laughs> and I feel like I dance this dance every single day of my life. Like mm-hmm. How can I do my job without making this client mad (laughs) is a common question that I ask myself. And then finally, I just had to arrive at like, I'm going to just do my job and sort of not worry about whether they get mad. (laughs) They're just going to have to deal with it. Yeah. (laughs) We hadn't broken out the mad button in a minute. Mm -mm. It's just sitting over here. (laughs) So I do think that having the owner hear about recommendations from every level of the staff is important. But at a certain point, if the owner has said no, they're going to get pissed off if they like the fifth person tries to give them this high pressure tactic or whatever. Mm -hmm. Clients, like you said, clients aren't dumb. I mean, not really. And they recognize high pressure sales pitches. So and it may a lot of times it makes them mad. It's just a difficult line to walk. Like Mm -hmm. we want to make sure that they truly understand But at the same time, like pissing them off doesn't really help the situation. And I think we need to listen and take their goals into account. We're not going to get compliance about some sort of major surgery from a client who wants palliative or hospice style care. We're not going to get compliance about heartworm prevention from a client who is most worried about house soiling and is considering rehoming the patient. Mm -hmm. You know, like you have to think about the circumstances of the visit and, and what's going on. And then when they say things like, I don't believe in heartworms, I always wonder, like, is it really that they don't believe in heartworms? Or is this something that they're just sort of telling themselves so that they can kind of avoid the guilt of not providing prevention or treatment for their pet? You know, like, yeah. So anyway, I think that when clients say those things that are really inflammatory, like, veterinarians invented parvo to sell vaccines which does make my blood pressure go up because i'm just like what the you know like oh my god after all we've done for you you know and everything i think just taking a step back and remembering like this is them compensating (laughs) this is the story they have to tell themselves to sleep at night like (laughs) like, as gross it is is like if someone tells me i don't believe in heartworms i'm like now, I know there's got to be a jar somewhere of a heart with a bunch of heartworms hanging out of it. Let me go dig and find that yeah, and set it on the counter and be like, do you believe in this, motherfucker? <laughs> I had a colleague who used to say, essentially, the, the idea was like, how do you feel about Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny? But they said it in a way where the like the client would just be like, oh, shit, I can't argue with that. <laughs> I don't remember how. Man, it was so good, too. Like. People would be like, I don't believe in X. And they would be like, how do you feel? Anyway, it was really good. I really wish that I could pull that quote out now because Mm. it was awesome. That's funny. (laughs) How do you feel about Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny? Oh, man. What if the Easter Bunny had heartworms? (laughs) Oh, no. 
So we really appreciate the fan mail. Uh, if anybody else wants to send us any um, anything like this to talk about, we would absolutely love to read it. Mm-hmm. We will keep it anonymous as always, we promise, just like mm-hmm. we did for this one. So, mm-hmm. well, it's time for us to talk about our favorite things for this week. You go ahead because I need to think of one. Well, this didn't happen this week necessarily, but um, since we last recorded, my first semester of my master's program has finished and I got a 4.0. Woohoo. I made a 100 on my statistics final that I was really worried about and broke mm. the curve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, Maniac, what are you worried about? <laughs> Look, it was hard. <laughs> this is hard. <laughs> it's difficult. But I made a 100. Because you're so smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so smart. Has nothing to do with the fact that I worked like six or seven hours a week on that class. <laughs> that class took up like three times the amount of time as my other class. Yeah, that one. Boy, it, some of it reads like stereo instructions. Oh, like, man. Wait, what? <laughs> and our textbook was like everyone else really loved the textbook, but I did not because... I'm very much like I want it like in a bulleted list. You know what I'm saying? Like step Mm -hmm. one, step two, step three. Boom. But this was like trying to put statistics into paragraph form. Mm -hmm. And I would just, oh, man, like my brain would hurt after reading Mm -hmm. all of that. And I would be like, I don't know what I'm doing. And then somehow on the quiz, then I would make a high grade. And I'm like, how the fuck did I make a high grade? (laughs) And my my professor kept being like, you really understand this. And I'm like, I have them all fooled. I don't really understand it. But <laughs> Imposter syndrome. <laughs> but I think I really do understand it. And I just doubt myself. But mm-hmm. That's it. Whatever. Exactly. <laughs> I'm tricking them all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I guess my good thing could be that, again, this didn't happen this week, but I just had a nice... 12 days off from work what and went on a vacation with family and had a good time and that's awesome it was needed and it was enjoyed yeah i saw you earlier today and you had like your tan going on and everything <laughs> yeah i got a little french fried at one oh, point like it's, slightly crisp extra crispy <laughs> i put sunscreen on and i reapplied but where we were it's like we ended up we had one of those those little tents that most people put on the beach yeah. We actually covered part of the pool with it because that sucker was in direct oh, sunlight Oh, that's a great idea. So we had like on the shallow end where all the benches and stuff were, we had uh-huh. the tent over that. Um, so you could get out of the sun some. But Oh, that's a good idea. You guys got like an Airbnb that had like a private pool and well, stuff? Well, it was, it was like a house. Um, yeah. Because there's a bunch of us that go. There's like 15 people running around that house. Like your uh, 15, like f- your family, basically. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like several cousins and my aunt and the cousin's children. And then uh, my nieces and nephew went. So we had a lot of people in there. And it was like these like duplexes and each side had their own pool. And oh, there cool. was like four or five of them in a row. And each pool was a little different. There was like a fence separating. So you could, you know, if you like... We're walking, you could see into your neighbor's side, but if you were in the pool, you couldn't really. So, but it was nice. It was right on the beach. And other than a little bit of a sunburn that I just apparently couldn't avoid, everything went really well. We had fun. We always have fun going and 
on the way down and the way back because my aunt had a genius idea to buy us all walkie talkies and antennas for our car. So we talked to each other in the cars. We have like a caravan of four cars that we're traveling in and we're all talking to each other the whole time. And it's funny. Why is playing on walkie talkie or a CB radio more fun than talking on the phone? I don't know, but but it it totally is. It super is. It's, it's hilarious. Like we, (laughs) you'll like this. We had this like ongoing theme of like, we um, were joking that one of my cousins is like a serial killer. Cause we started like, uh Oh yeah. Cause you know, (laughs) true crime is, is fun. So we were, um, we were driving in this one. We we took some back roads to avoid traffic because traffic is terrible on 65. And we got into this area. It was like, there's like nothing. And I'm like, um, hey, cousin, are you leading us to our death in some sort of like, you know, plot? And he was like, you've discovered my plan because he's very dry sense of humor, very deadpan. And we started, I said, you're, you, we passed a water tower at one point And I was like, you're probably going to chop us up and put us in water tower Mm-mm. like that, that poor girl that oh was at that gosh. hotel in California. And yeah, I said, I and then their mean. water's going to be funky. And everybody's like, what are you talking about? So oh, I made them they all don't like, know? they don't know. They oh had no God. idea. So I had to send them all links to that. And they're oh, like, this happened for real. The I'm most like, yes. upsetting. Yes. Yes. Oh. And so like the whole way back, we were like, oh, there's another water tower. Uh, or if something happened that was a little weird, like, like um, y'all didn't see like zip ties and duct tape in his truck, did you? And he's like, I keep those with me all the time. And we're like, no. no. So what was really funny is that like last week we saw that news report that there was woman that was caught swimming in a water tank in Athens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and somebody had posted that to the group text. We're all laughing. I said, that's a little too close to home. You missed it. <laughs> You got somebody else, not us. Oh, but, man. <laughs> yeah, we're terrible, but it, it was fun. It definitely <laughs> makes the seven hours of driving go by really fast. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, that does sound like a good time. <laughs> we're weird. If you have stories, questions, concerns, or anything else you'd like for us to talk about, please send them to introvetspodcast at gmail.com. And you can find us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram, and it's at Intervets. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.